Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, your source for Kentucky politics. I'm not going to do a long preamble. I'm going to jump right into it because today we'll be going over everything that happened on car crisis aversion rights retention at Kentucky's attempt or some Republicans attempt at getting a red flag law passed in Kentucky. There's a hearing on it on Friday. This entire episode will focus on that. And if you're listening on WZXI, I encourage you, make sure you listen to the entire hour if you can. And if you miss anything, you can always catch this on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, and Twitter. It gets posted at 1 p.m. as well as on all other major podcasting platforms. Just visit theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's theandrewshow.com to find old episodes. So some of this uh, is is going to run together a little bit here. We're gonna we're gonna focus on this the entire time. I know some of you might be tired of hearing about car, but I think it's incredibly important. It's Second Amendment rights, incredibly important. There is a lot said in this hearing that is worthwhile and worth talking about. Now this was a hearing, not a vote. They can't vote while they're not in session. So there was no vote or outcome, but this was a preemptive hearing to see if this bill would get any distance at all. And this is why I got to listen to the end, because at the end, I'm going to go over what happened specifically within the hearing that, honestly, the bill sponsor, so-called Republican Whitney Westfield, shot himself in the foot. Carr's definitely, after that, Carr's got to be dead this session, maybe dead forever. Red flag law is dead forever. Uh, in Kentucky until this question can be answered because it really has revealed a big, big problem with this entire red flag gun laws beyond just constitutionality, but actually in enforcement. And so, but I don't, I don't want to take too long on it. Like I said, so without further ado, I'm going to dig into it. First, we're going to play Whitney explaining car, this red flag law, how it will operate, what it does. He's going to brandy about a uh, ex parte hearing. You're going to hear him talk about that a lot. An ex parte hearing, for those of you, so you understand, is a hearing that takes place uh, basically in a red flag situation. Uh, it takes place without the the person, the subject of the hearing, being aware of it or having representation about it. Basically, the the person who desires to take away the guns has a private uh, hearing with a judge that the person who's being accused of being mentally unstable and unable to hold guns is unaware of. Uh, and so that way they can get this order issued and get the guns from the person before they know of about anything going on. Um, but you're going to hear him talk about these two versions of the bill. This is Whitney Westfield. Let's take a listen. What we came up with is having that petition, and I'll, I'll point a, a, an important distinction between ours and a lot of other states. You can't just anybody go and get this petition and ask a court. You've got to convince a law enforcement official, an officer, to petition the court. Um, and in this particular case, that individual can petition law enforcement. And the law enforcement then, instead of going to court, goes directly to the respondent and gives them an option. And there are some protections and controls about when you can do this. You can't do it in the middle of the night, that sort of thing. But they give, it gives the respondent the option. You can have a hearing within X number of hours near immediate. Keep your guns until then. Not keep your guns. That's up in the air. Or you can give us your guns now, and we'll have a hearing in a week. And again, the time periods in there are, are changeable and adjustable. 
they've been given a chance right there at the moment to have a hearing within – and I the draft I've circulated, and there are some judges behind me that have read it. Um, I had two hours. You can have a hearing in two hours or give us your guns and we'll hold them for the week and you have a hearing, a full-blown hearing in a week. So that's first option. Option two, we do bring the ex parte hearing back in for this option. Then this particular path, if this is the way that, that there is – more support for, but something that is in this bill that has not been in any prior bill, and I don't, I'm not familiar with every, I think there are 19 or 20 other states that have something like this. I don't know if another state has it. But this follows the 202A uh, schedule and, and protocol. So all the district judges are familiar with that. It's a near immediate uh, review of the petition. It still has the law enforcement step, so it's not just anybody on a whim asking for a judge to get your guns. There has to be some articulated, specific reasons for the basis for the the record the uh, the order. So to sum up these two versions of the bill he's looking at, so he's got one version where um, it takes out the ex parte hearing, and and the reason why they take that out is obviously, you know, outside of the which just. just Let's just talk about constitutional violations that are going on uh, with this piece of legislation, because there is a good number of them that can be going on with this piece of legislation. Right. OK, so first um, in the first version, in order to get rid of the ex parte hearing, which means uh, obviously you have no right to face your accuser. Well, once again, you're not being accused of a crime. You have no ability to defend yourself. You have no idea what's going on there within the court of law. Then they come, they take your guns away. Um, without you having committed a crime or anything like that. And then you have to go beg for them back in front of a judge. That's, that's the way these red flag laws normally work. That's essentially what uh, option two is option one though is where a cop because this is you know splitting the baby finding common ground we heard that a lot during the hearing finding common ground is that the police just show up at your door and say okay you got two options you can give me all your guns and we can have a hearing in a week or you can come with me right now pretty much and we're going to go have a hearing on whether or not you get to keep your guns that you get to be there for I mean, never mind, you have no idea what you're being accused of. You have no time to contact an attorney. You have no time to put together a defense there. You have no time for any of that. And so actually what option one provides is either A, you will get completely unreasonable legal representation because you can't contact an attorney. You don't know what the charges are. You can't form a defense. You can't do anything. Extremely unconstitutional, extremely volatile of the due process. or Without even getting a hearing, your guns get taken away because they say, well, you can have the hearing now or uh, we're just going to take them. So it actually is worse than having an ex parte hearing because you don't even have an ex parte hearing. You just have a sheriff showing up and saying hearing now or or police officer hearing now or hearing in a week up to you. But if you want to do the hearing in a week, we got to take your gun. So if you want to actually mount a legal defense, uh, you had to give us your guns. Um, obviously this is violates so much of the constitution, so many issues with this, uh, and, and we'll go into some of what those are as we cover this throughout. But when you really dig down into it, it's, they're both extremely iffy and, and, and Whitney tries to defend this by claiming that, well, well, you see, um, well, this isn't like other places because it, law enforcement has to be the one asking 
a judge and somebody has to go to law enforcement. The law enforcement has to go to the judge. Uh, and so it really involves the law enforcement angle, which is so odd because when, when their entire claim behind this is some sort of precog, we believe in the future at some point you're going to commit a crime. And, you know, police officers aren't mental health experts to somehow figure out what the difference is there. There's no, there's no talk anywhere in there about visits with mental health experts. Not that I would trust them that much. We might dig into that a little bit more into this show as that issue comes up. But these both options, one is you don't get a legal defense. <laughs> you um, get your, or you get your guns taken away with no ex parte hearing with a hearing in a week. And I guess you put together a defense that way. Or the other one is you get, there's an ex parte hearing. There's a hearing without you present. You have no idea what's going on. You can't mount a defense. Then police just show up and say, okay, we're here to get your firearms. And you have no idea why or what's going on. You've never had a chance to defend yourself. And most importantly, you haven't committed a crime. There's no probable cause you've committed a crime. There's nothing there. This is obvious problems obvious big problems with this. Uh, and we'll be going over some of what those problems are uh, and some of what the arguments are because it, it's quite ridiculous. They use a, a lot of, they didn't have a lot of facts. Uh, they had a whole lot of emotional stories to share with people on this. And we'll be going over what some of those stories are. Uh, after this short break, you're listening to the Andrew Cooperwriter show, your source, sorry, for Kentucky politics from a constitutional and conservative perspective. As always, if you want to reach out to the show, just email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that is info at theandrewshow.com. As I said, after the break, we'll be covering what some of their stories are about why we have to take away these people's guns unconstitutionally after this short break. And you are back with the Andrew Kubrater show, your source for Kentucky politics. Before the break, we were talking about uh, Whitney's testimony, Whitney Westerfield, sponsor of cars. Testimony was about what cars about and the two different options. And now we're going to hear some arguments for it. Um, there's a few different stories they're going to tell because, of course, outside of stats on suicide, there's a whole lot of anecdotal stories they're going to tell in order to hopefully pull on those their heartstrings of people in order to get you to legislate away rights on these stories, but there's a common thread through them. Let's take a listen and see if we can figure out what it is. Uh, that changed for me last May, May of 22, the day of the Uvalde shooting. It wasn't substantially different from the other shootings that we've seen at schools in particular, but it bothered me in ways other uh, awful acts that we've seen, mass shooting events that we've seen didn't. And it bothered me because the, the little boys and girls that we we're seeing stories about or that we that we saw were killed or we heard calls from or pleas from heard stories about and read stories about were the age of my kids so we whitney starts off by saying that he was inspired to do this legislation because of well uvaldi the uvaldi shooting which Let's keep in mind the Uvalde shooting is not in Kentucky. And also the shooter in the Uvalde shooting bought his guns just days before the shooting. Just days. How would a red flag law have prevented that? He didn't own any guns before a few days before the shooting. His family was unaware of him having any guns. He didn't have any guns before that. And then he turns 18. He goes out. He purchases guns just a few days before and then goes in and commits the shooting. Would a red flag law in Kentucky stop this mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas? 
No, of course not. One, it's not in Kentucky. And two, um, a red flag law wouldn't have prevented it in the first place. So that has nothing to do with anything being discussed, but that's his lead off. I put forward this solution because of Uvalde, which this wouldn't actually even have solved. But let's hear what else they have to say. And we were reminded of that just this April or, or March, when the, whenever the I'm sorry, I'm drawing the blank on the date of the, the bank shooting. And then he brings up the bank shooting that uh, just happened this year. Now, at least that's in Kentucky. So you could at least say, okay, a law passed in Kentucky could do something about it maybe. But once again, the perpetrator there bought their guns just days before the incident. Uh, uh, that perpetrator's own family said that nothing seemed wrong when they were with him just the day before. So he buys the guns a few days before. He They don't even know he's got guns. And everything seems fine. How would a red flag law have stopped that? Of course not. So the first two stories off the bat to bring up why we need car, car would do nothing to actually prevent. But now let's hear from Whitney Austin, the citizen uh, activist who lives in Kentucky, who was a part of a, uh, a victim in a mass shooting. Uh, she didn't die, but was a victim in a mass shooting in 2018. Let's hear her story. And on September 6, 2018, I saw this shared value collapse and to the detriment of myself and thousands of other people in Cincinnati, Ohio. On that day, I faced something that I can only describe as hell on earth. As I walked into the corporate headquarters of Fifth Third Bank, I found myself stranded in a revolving door taking gunfire from a severely mentally ill man who was in lawful possession of a firearm. For one agonizing minute, I lay there helpless as 12 bullets entered my body, coughing up blood and trying as hard as possible to remain lifeless for fear that he would fire the next round into my body. And while that was happening, all I could think about were my precious children. So we got another horrible, heart-wrenching story. And I'm so far sorry that that happened to Whitney Austin. Absolutely awful. But once again, we're here, though, having a hearing about CAR. So as you're hearing these stories to tell you why you should pass this law, you would hope that it would have something to do with the law. So Whitney Austin shooting was in Cincinnati not in Kentucky. And also, once again, that shooter there bought guns just days before the shooting. How would a red flag law, let alone in Kentucky, but a red flag law at all prevent that, especially one in Kentucky? It wouldn't. It wouldn't. And now we have, uh, coming up next, the, the J-Town police chief telling a story about when he dealt with uh, the, the shooting there that happened here in Kentucky. Let's take a listen. And my husband. On January 23rd, 2018, at 8.57 a.m., my executive assistant walked into my office. At the time, I was commissioner of the Kentucky State Police. She said, Commissioner, we have an active shooter situation over near Benton, Kentucky, at the Marshall County High School, and there are casualties. The governor and I boarded an airplane and flew to Marshall County and went to the school. And when I walked in, I saw 15-year-old Bailey Holt 
laying on the floor, dead. I saw backpacks, phones, shoes of students that had lived through this ordeal and had been, had been uh, face facing this, this challenge. The shooter was a 15-year-old student at that school who suffered from mental illness. And I think when I saw that, I thought, you know, there are doers and there are talkers. And I want to be a doer. We have to do something to stop some of this. There were two people killed that day. There were 14 people totally that have been shot, 18 injured in all. He was taken into custody and by a sheriff in Marshall County. And although the SRO did not stop the shooting, I believe he stopped the continuation of the shooting by being in that school. This young man, who I won't mention his name, after shooting all these people, threw the gun down and tried to blend in with other students. But he was apprehended by the sheriff. That young man had taken a gun from his stepfather and had committed this heinous act. So then we have, so so uh, uh, there's four witnesses up there to testify about why you should pass this bill. The one on the end is some mental health expert. So he's not, he's got stories about suicide and stuff, but nothing quite like that. So the three people sitting up there talking about why they're up there and why they care. We have Whitney talking about a shooting that didn't happen in Kentucky, red flag law wouldn't prevent it. Talking about a shooting that happened in Kentucky, red flag law wouldn't prevent it. We have Whitney Austin talking about a shooting not in Kentucky, in Ohio, where also red flag law wouldn't prevent it. And now we have this uh, J-Town police officer talking about why he there and why he cares why he's testifying and he's talking about a shooting awful thing to happen but last i checked kids under 18 can't even buy or own firearms and even he admits at the end that he stole the gun from his stepfather he stole the gun how would a red flag law have prevented the shooting you know what's worse than trying to use emotional stories to try to take away guns from people who have done nothing wrong and have not committed a crime you know what's worse than that treating us like we're idiots, treating us like we won't notice that the law you're presenting to take away guns and the emotional stories you're saying to somehow justify this unconstitutional gun grab, this push to give government more power, these stories you're pushing forward, the solution you're there testifying about doesn't even address those problems. It doesn't. And you're betraying exactly what your real motivations are when that's the case. You're betraying that your motivations are not just about, quote unquote, preventing this shooting from happening. Maybe it is, but your motivations here isn't for car. Your motivations is to take away guns from everybody. Just do something. Just do something. I mean, here's here's a little montage for you of them saying, just let's just do something. Thing that you wouldn't do to prevent them from experiencing this. And if we could do one thing in this state to prevent one parent from having to go through that, it is worth it. And without acting, we are letting our children kill themselves. We've got to be brave enough to not let people just die nilly willy. There are a lot of dead citizens that were law abiding citizens because we're not taking action. 
just do something, right? They're betraying what they're saying. See, they can sit there and say, oh, well, this is just about car, but we know this is just a foothold. This is just the beginning. That's it. This is just your push forward. This is just the start for you. That's it. This is just the start. And in it too, as well, they, they bring up suicide. I think that's a discussion we can have about suicide, uh, uh, but we're going to have to have it after this break here. We're coming up on a break here in about a minute or so. But they treat us like we're dumb. They use a bunch of stories that this car bill wouldn't solve. Then they yell about doing something, demagoguing death to take away your constitutional rights. And it betrays everything. Listen to their language. We got to do something. If, if we can prevent just one death, it's worth it. Well, if you want to eliminate all deaths by guns, then you need to eliminate every single gun there is, something we know won't happen because one, they don't actually want to take away every gun there is. They just want you to have a gun if you work for the government, of course. Then you could have a gun. But if you don't, they want to take them all away. If it, if it just prevents one death, isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it to take away the very rights enshrined in our constitution that protects our, our, our liberty and our ability to withstand a tyrannical government and defend ourselves against one? Isn't that worth giving up if it just saves one life? Isn't it, isn't it worth giving up driving if it just saves one accident? Isn't it worth giving up? And, and, and we act like, like, well, you just won't do something for any death. As I just brought up in that driving example, there are things in this life where we say, there's a weight here. Yes, that could lead to death, but what is the sacrifice of liberty by eliminating that from the lexicon? But they don't even care to talk about that. Instead, they say, just do something. After this break, we'll be talking about their suicide argument, because of course, that was the other thing. Mass shootings and suicides, that's what Carr wants to prevent. We've already dispelled the myth that can prevent those mass shootings, because none of which they brought up could it prevent. But we'll be talking about suicide after this short break. We'll see you soon. And you are back with the Andrew Cooper Ryder show, your source for Kentucky politics. Before the break, of course, we're talking about the car hearing from Friday, the red flag law hearing, trying to take it from you. We've talked about what their arguments were, just do something. Their stories that don't have anything to do with car have, 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 have the, the bill doesn't even address. But one of the things that kept coming back to was suicide. And one of the things they said often as they're talking through this meeting is, you know, it's it's important we have some difficult conversations about this topic. And I, I think we should have a difficult conversation about suicide. This was not a conversation they wanted to have, of course, but I'm going to have it with you now. Let me ask you, what role does the government actually have in preventing suicides? That is a question nobody Asked, nobody often thinks about. We just take this argument of, well, if it prevents one suicide, it's worth it, and never ask the question, well, what role does government actually have on preventing suicide, especially when that deals with taking away constitutional rights? Is it okay to violate someone's constitutional rights so they don't commit suicide? I, I don't believe, per se, committing suicide is a crime. Um, I don't, I don't think people get put in jail for committing suicide. Obviously, if you try to commit suicide and you fail, um, you know, a court could order you to, to have some health treatments and things like that. But I don't know if there's actually a statute that says committing suicide in and of itself is a crime. I don't believe there is. So you, you're talking about taking away people's constitutional rights so the government can step in and stop people from doing something that isn't even a crime. 
awful. I'm not, I'm not justifying suicide at all. It's awful, horrible thing. But what role does government actually have in preventing something from happening that's not a crime? And as long as we're looking at the facts, facts, not emotions, but facts, let's look at their call for more mental health treatments. Or in another way, what they're calling for in this car system, in this crisis aversion rights retention act, and what we heard throughout the hearing is more calls for government involvement in suicide prevention and mental health care. But yet, as we've seen more calls and we've seen more spending in government, more involvement in mental health care, it's done nothing but go up. Why? Because government can't solve it. Because what causes suicide? Hopelessness, failure, feeling a failure, feeling that your life is meaningless, not seeing value in yourself, not viewing yourself as important. Where do those senses of, of feelings come from? They come from family. They come from community. They come from church and religion. That's where those senses of what is your purpose, why are you alive, comes from. But you know who it never comes from? Government. Government can't give your life meaning. It can only subjugate you. Only family, community, religion, that can give your life meaning. But government can't. So no wonder why government fails so much at preventing suicide or treating suicide because it can't fulfill the hole that is missing. No amount of money and no amount of government programs can fulfill that. It doesn't come from that place. You don't find your meaning in life from government. And now that's a difficult conversation they don't want to have. That's difficult. They, they just don't want to have it. Now, the dumbest argument award, I think, uh, should go to Sherilyn Stevenson. Let's hear what she had to say. Military for 27 years, if there was a member that looked like they were going to harm themselves or were undergoing mental health crises, we had a process. And we took away their weapon until they got healthy, and then we gave it back. That's right. Her amazing solution, her, her dumbest argument, her argument was is that even in the military, you know, where you voluntarily, hopefully, have signed up to join, where you've signed away control of your life, you know, the military that tells you what you have to wear, how you behave in all aspects of your life, that has complete control over your life, can even have control over what medications you have to take, has control over, over how you style your hair and get it cut. What would even tattoos you can get, or at least used to, I don't know what their tattoo policy is now, right? That, that used to have, that has all these controls on your life. And she points to that to say, well, even they had something for taking away a person's weapon. If they're going through a mental health, it's not even their weapon. It's the government's weapon. And you belong to the government when you sign up for the military. What do you mean? We even had a process. What does that have to do with the tea price of tea in China? What's that got to do with this? What's this got to do with car? Why are you comparing what, overreaches the military has into people's lives into citizens lives are you saying that the government has the same right to tell you what to do as a private citizen as they do a person in the military golly you are all kinds of stupid of course they don't why would you make that comparison why would they but hey we, as long as we do something right i mean the military does something so that must make it Okay, now what, what were the arguments we heard from the legislators? Let's let's take a listen to some of those here. This is the message back. So we've heard what their arguments were for. Let's hear the arguments were back against it. Representative Nemus. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. 
uh, we've talked a number of times, Whitney and everyone else at the table. I want to thank you guys for coming here. I know it's not easy to do. Um, I've talked about this bill a lot with a lot of my constituents on all sides of this issue. I don't know that there are just two sides of the issue. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask the other side the hardest question I can come up with as well, or one that gives me pause, but I'm going to ask the same of you on the other side, which is the, the, the biggest concern I have with this bill. So I'm going to try to be a lawyer and, and, and kick the tires on both sides if I could. Um, I, th I think the biggest problem I have with this bill, and thank you for having the hearing. I think that's important in the due process. But fundamentally, this bill takes away a constitutional right from a citizen based on the prediction that they might commit a crime in the future. And so we've heard today that that could be indefinite. Um, it doesn't, it's not just the 72 hours. It could be forever. If the, continue, if the judge continues to have that and there continues to be hearings. And so um, while I understand that the, the purpose of that or the intent behind that, it seems to me that, that that's a problem. So what do you say to those who say it's, it's a little minority report? I know a lot of us have watched that movie. This person has done nothing wrong. They have not committed a crime. They don't have a history of a crime. They've done nothing wrong. And we are taking their constitutional rights away, perhaps indefinitely. What do you say to that? Now, before he responds, fantastic question from Jason Nemus there, representative, pointing out the fact these people have not committed a crime. You're taking away their constitutional rights, maybe indefinitely, based upon the idea they may commit a crime. Okay, so they haven't committed a crime. Okay, now Whitney's going to respond with something, and I'm going to zero in on it. Hold on. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, the system we have right now, limits your constitutional rights or your liberties already based on probable cause. So he goes, the system we have now limits your constitutional rights based upon probable cause. Whitney, the system we have now does limit your rights based upon probable cause that you committed a crime. That you committed a crime. You're trying to compare that there's some probable cause you may commit a crime in the future. Well, you can expand out that line of thinking to take guns away from every single person that grows up in a single parent household with low income. Because statistically speaking, they have a much higher chance of becoming criminals. So why don't we just go ahead and pre-ban them from owning guns? Because, you know, we have probable cause, right? I mean, it's precog. It's pre-crime. We think they will commit a crime in the future. How can you have probable cause that they may commit a crime in the future, Whitney? You got a time machine you're not telling us about? You got, you know, he brought up Minority Report. What, you got some of those precog triplets in a tank somewhere? Carving up pieces of wood to give you a name? Is that what it is? How do you know? You don't know, but you're saying, well, probable cause. You have the very definition of probable cause means you can't have it if you don't even think they've committed a crime, but you think they're just going to commit a crime in the future. Why are you bringing up probable cause? Why are you doing that? We're going to hear a few more of these arguments because because we've got a few arguments here. And then also, too, the number one reason, you know, Whitney just shot himself in the foot. We'll be covering that after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Kubrater Show, your source for Kentucky politics. We'll see you back here in just a few short minutes. Remember, you can reach out to the show by emailing info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. 
And you are back with the Andrew Kuberetter Show. Uh, for the break, we're going over what the legislators taking the other side, saying car's a bad idea, this gun control, this red flag law, it's a bad idea, what their arguments are back at them. We've heard from Jason Nemus. Uh, let's hear the next legislator's argument. Representative Rawlings. There are concerns about the subjectivity of all of this and also that the process becomes the punishment. The process becomes a punishment. That's a, I want to zero in on Rawlings saying that right off the bat, because as I've been saying going into this, you have indefinite hearings potentially, as Jason Nemus just said, in order for a person to get their rights back. You have nothing but but lawyer fees stacking up dollar figures you have to get together. The process to get back your guns is a punishment when you haven't even committed a crime. Let's hear what else he has to say. There will be a lot of people dragged into court or whatnot that are very, they're innocent. And I thought criminal law, you have elements of the law that you have to meet. There's a murder. There's certain elements. There's, there's something to, to tangible to go to. But in this case, what did these people do? What, what is the crime? What is the upfront crime? I think it's going to target a lot of people groups like People in rural areas, good old boy networks, it's going to target veterans, could target inner city blacks. It could. So he's talking about targeting people. So one, he, he's talking about one, this good old boy system you have in a rural area where the judge and the sheriff and all these people have a very good, you know, uh, uh, um, relationship together. And them coming in saying, hey, we just don't particularly like that guy. Let's just take his guns. I mean, there's a lot of corruption going on all across the state, especially in these rural areas. Now you're giving those same people the tool to disarm them. They don't even see, see if, if a judge at least is getting this request right on a criminal case, it can be appealed. You have obviously uh, evidence, probable cause they have to meet. Otherwise you have grounds for lawsuits, everything else. This, you're not even accused of a crime. They just think maybe there's a problem with you into the future. As long as they get one person to say, I, I, I think he may do something. They can take your guns away. It's a way of punishing you without you having even done anything. Target people within the home, aside from the main, uh, main target. It and then also, too, on these different communities of less means, you can't afford the legal representation. So that becomes a problem. Could, um, it could be a problem with, with who are the petitioners? Who are the accusers? What expertise do they have? Do they have psychology degrees? Can they psychoanalyze? You have, um, you have so much corruption. And, and I have a real concern with judges right now that don't all rule constitutionally. And so you have decision makers and judges that may be dealing with ideological concerns. They deal based on their own ideology sure. or their personal policy preferences. So Rollins bringing up a lot of good things. I mean, you, you go in front of a judge in, in Lexington, for an example, who already doesn't like guns, they're going to grant every single one that comes through because they have a biasy there. You're, you're asking them to weigh in on the constitutional question of whether or not somebody has a right to own a firearm, not a criminal question. That is a lot more subjective to that judge's personal opinion. But there's a lot of other arguments, all good. I wish I had time to get to them all, but there's one I want to zero on. That was Savannah Maddox's, because she asked a series of questions here. And this is why Carr just got shot in the foot. And, and the fact that 
I'll, well, I'll talk about it here in a bit. Here, here's Savannah Maddox's uh, testimony here. Proposal that at a bare minimum has the potential to violate at least three constitutional rights, in addition to due process and the presumption of innocence, which is a principle that is deeply enshrined in our American legal system. Leading up to this hearing, I have heard quite a bit about finding common ground. I, I respect that rationale, I understand it. But to me, our common ground is the Constitution. Mm. We've all sworn an oath to uphold it. And regardless of our differences of opinion, that's what we have to do. Now, there is little merit in debating the technical issues that may arise from this proposal, but one aspect in particular of any red flag proposal that I have always taken issue with is in terms of seizure. If you have a situation where you have multiple folks that are dwelling in the same household and um, a red flag is called in, when law enforcement comes to seize the farms, do they um, automatically know where to find them? Are they told where to find them? Do they dig through the entirety of the house? Do they saw into the safe? Do they dig through the barns? Do they dig through the cars? Do they tear apart the Fourth Amendment in the process? I think the question then leads to where we would be in potentially a scenario to have a foot in the door for a registry. Fantastic question, right? And this is really one of the key things. This is why car, I believe, will always run into roadblocks here in Kentucky. And you're going to hear Whitney's response to that question here in a bit because it points this out. But but it's a very good question. So so you have a person. So let's say for, for sake of a term, uh, let's say somebody calls a red flag in on me and uh, they decide to execute that. And so they come to seize my firearms. Well, my wife has guns. My wife carries a gun with her almost constantly. Um, some of the guns in the house are for her. You know, there's a shotgun that is hers. There's a, a 22 that is uh, uh, technically, I guess you'd call it hers. It's more my son's. But anyways, you know, there's, there's a pistol that is specifically hers. Um, you know, so does she get her second amendment. So now you're not even talking about taking the second amendment rights away from somebody who you think in the future may commit a crime or kill themselves, which to be clear, isn't, a, I don't believe that's a crime. It's awful, but I don't believe it's a crime, but you're, so you're talking about taking guns away from somebody who may kill themselves or commit a crime in the future, but you don't know that for a fact, but you're not just taking away their second amendment rights. You are potentially taking away the second amendment right of every single person in that home. Now you're using this to encroach on the second amendment rights of people who've done nothing wrong. And you don't even think are going to do anything wrong, but because they live in the same dwelling as them. Well, now they get their second amendment rights taken away. And then on top of that, this isn't a criminal procedure. How are you going to issue a warrant for search and seizure of the firearms? You're not accused of a crime. This is a big issue. This is a big problem. You know, if I'm living at my dad's house, for an example, I got a lot of guns. He's got a lot of guns. They come in to take away my dad's guns. Do I lose every single one of my guns now? This is a big question. And this was Whitney's response. And they choose that option, the, the latter option to... I want to have a hearing in a week. There's absolutely nothing stopping them from lying to you about the guns that they have. Sure, I'll turn over the five I want you to have, but I'm going to keep the sixth that's hidden under my mattress. And there's no search, representatives of or ransacking of a home or anything. It, I think it's on the honor system. It's on the honor system. 
So let me get this straight, Whitney Westerfield. We can't trust you with a gun, but we can trust you to be honest about how many guns you have and where they are. So not only are you now talking about and debating a law that will violate, potentially violate the Constitution, violates people's constitutional rights without them having committed a crime, has the ability to violate the constitutional rights of people who you don't even think will commit a crime and also haven't committed a crime. But now what you're stating is that, well, it's on the honor system that they turn them in. The only people who will honorably turn in their firearms when the police show up without a warrant are the same people that shouldn't have their guns taken away in the first place. If you're the type of person that when the police show up and they say, look, we're here to use all your guns, and you then you actually give them all your guns, you aren't about to commit a crime and you're not about to commit suicide with a gun either. So the law is useless. It's literally only targeting the people that should have never gotten their guns taken away in the first place. There's a hole you could drive a Mack truck through in the darn thing. You know what's funny is in all, and, and that's the number one reason why this bill should fail. Not only does it not address any of those stories that they brought up in the beginning, not only does it not address particularly well suicide, not only is it arguable whether or not what government's role is there, not only does it violate the Constitution, but it's not even effective at actually getting the guns out of the hands of people you want most to get them out of the hands of. But yet, despite that being a whole you drive a Mack truck through, despite that being the reason why that bill should never see the light of day, I didn't see one media person report on that. That was the most important part of that entire hearing. Whitney shot himself in the foot, and there's no way that bill ever moves forward now. And if it does, I have to get all these legislators' brain checks. I don't see it moving forward for years now because of that response. But yet, if you didn't listen to the Andrew Cooperheader show, you would have no idea that he said that. Nobody's reported on that. And that's why you should share this out. Make sure you're telling others, make sure you're telling them to listen to the Andrew Cooperwriter show. Well, yo, that's what we have time for today. We'll see you back here tomorrow at one o'clock. Have a great rest of your day.